everybody shut everything down. This guy has penis pain. We need to fix it. But you as a woman have pain every month and it's just part of it because we've been told that it's just part of being a woman and therefore our pain is not taken seriously. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Rach Active Podcast. We're bringing you insightful conversations to help you live an active and inspired life. So make sure you hit subscribe so that you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. I'm your host, Rachel J, and I'm so excited to welcome my guest to the show today. She's known as the Hormone Revolutionist. She's a women's health and fertility expert, best-selling author and speaker. She's the host of the Wellness Collective Podcast and the founder of the Pagoda Tree Clinic in Melbourne. Welcome to the show, Nat Kringudis. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be able to chat with you today. I know it's so exciting that we get to sit down and chat and I know that you've been doing all of your work for a really long time and I remember you going back to the days of health talks when you were on with Mel Ambrosini and doing all those episodes which was so amazing and I'm pretty sure that we've seen each other at some wellness events. I mean, I couldn't for the life of me remember what ones they were, but you know, back in When's the day. When's the last time we went to an event? I know, exactly. <laughs> when was the last <laughs> time we got okay. to go anywhere, really? <laughs> um, exactly. So this is so exciting. You have been doing this for so long, 16 years of clinical experience and obviously, you know, a wealth of knowledge. So I'm so excited to know, how did you find yourself working in this very specific field? Because oftentimes I feel like with health and wellness professionals, we often have a personal journey or something that brings us to this kind of work. So is there a personal story that you can share with me about how you got into your work? Yeah, I wish I had the grand story. I laugh about this all the time. So I landed myself in Chinese medicine kind of unknowingly. I thought I was studying herbal medicine. I didn't quite look at the particulars. It ended up being Chinese herbal medicine. And I was like, oh, (laughs) all right, well, let's just go with that. Um, And so I opened my clinic um, quite a number of years ago now. And I made this statement one day that I was never going to treat women's health because hormones and women and, you know, add those together. And imagine every single patient being hormonal. Like that to me was my worst nightmare. I was like, I just don't want to do that. Um, but the story was more that there were just so many women that were continually coming, looking for answers that they weren't getting from their uh, mainstream healthcare providers. And it wasn't that I actually had the answers at the time. Uh, what I had studied and learnt at a tertiary level throughout my um, various, uh, you know, studies didn't tick the boxes because the conditions and problems that we were seeing were actually a result of modern day living, but we hadn't quite connected the dots yet. And Mm -hmm. so I literally said to patients, I don't really know, but I don't like that this is happening and I want to find out why this is happening to you. So whether it was like, you know, common symptoms now like ovulation pain or premenstrual um, stress or PMS, premenstrual syndrome, or even things like um, endometriosis and PCOS, we had a diagnosis or we had a symptom, but we didn't know why it was happening. Mm. And so uh, I just really sat and connected the dots for a lot of women and it saw the clinic escalate really quickly. And, and my, you know, my um, client base grew very, very quickly because I feel like 
women just wanted to be heard. They wanted to be listened to and they weren't necessarily getting that. And so um, that's kind of how it all happened. And and we've just ridden the wave ever since then. And it's it's been very interesting upon reflection. And I guess I get to do a lot of reflecting now because I get to talk about, you know, just like we are here, the, the evolution of how it all happened. Mm. Um, but we've always seemed to be at the forefront of that, not because that's a choice. It's just where... I've consistently landed and I guess it's just because I'm constantly curious and I want to listen to people and I want them to have answers. And more than anything, I want to be irrelevant. I want them to be empowered to do what they need to take care of their health. So, you know, from there we went and had the um, fortunate, um, you know, experience of being able to become a published author and uh, we created Health Talks, which you just touched on, which was for anyone who doesn't know what that is. It was an online TV series quite some time ago. Actually, I started it was a long time ago. Six months old and he's now 10. So that's how long wow. ago. And we just had no idea what we were doing and nor did we realize the impact that we were having or the profile push that that would give us collectively for girls rocking up creating content around health. Um, and so I guess that was a really, really big catapult as well. And and we kind of stopped and we ran out of steam, but we had no idea that that was going to be the way of the world in the future. Like I, I thought it would work and it did, but we didn't think it was working. And now looking back, look at YouTube now. Like, <laughs> yes. so it was just a matter of being, you know, curious, trying things on um, and we've continued to do that. And it's been such a pleasure to just serve women and and listen and try and fill in the gaps and that's what we will continue to do um, because we deserve this information and our bodies seem like such a mystery to us when they don't need to. Mm, that's one of the things that I think too you've you've spoken about a lot is that you're just so passionate about helping women understand their bodies better and I think this is it's kind of a funny thing that as women we don't really know how our bodies really function um we have a vague idea, but I think that there is a lot there that we really don't know. And, you know, what, what is one of the biggest things that you've found with women as you've seen them in private practice, but just through your work in general, that what don't they understand about their bodies? What's the most common and what's the biggest thing that they don't know that they should know? I think we all understand that it's acceptable. So we don't understand, sorry. We all blame our moods or our symptoms on our hormones. We, mm. you know, we can say, I'm just so hormonal, but we don't even know what that is. Yes. <laughs> what is that, right? <laughs> yes, and so you're right. this fundamental issue that we say, we, we identify that our hormones are part of it, but we don't know what to do with that. And mm. I think also because we look at hormones and they are, they can be really complex if you want to make it really complex, but they also can be pretty simple when you break it down. And so... I think that's the biggest issue is we look at it and we're like, that is just way too hard. I don't need to understand that. My doctor knows that for me and Mm. I just trust what my doctor tells me. And that becomes an issue too because when it comes to hormones, the best people to look after you or to help educate you and to, to explore your hormones are probably not the people that you're investing the time with. So, for example, your GP is the first point of call for Mm. any health issue Um, and it's one area that, that, Unfortunately, your GP doesn't have a lot in their toolkit to offer you besides synthetic birth control to treat a whole lot of symptoms, which doesn't look at the reason why it's happening. And I think that's the fundamental missing piece. You have to look at why it's happening, not just 
trying to turn it off, um, so yeah. to speak. And and again, no disrespect to your GP, that's their job to provide a solution for you. But sometimes you are in a position where your gynecologist or your hormone expert might actually be the right person to get the solution, um, not just a Band-Aid fix. So I think the to answer your question, it's that we, we're scared of understanding our hormones. We're scared of what might be revealed to us when in actual fact, if you can learn to understand it and use it to your superpower, it's a game changer mm. because you can approach every single day knowing A, where you are hormonally and how to get the best out of your day based on what your hormones are doing on any given day. Mm, you're so right about that. I I feel like we understand what hormones are as a logical concept. We're like, yes, we yes, I have hormones and maybe I experience some symptoms through the month. That's, you know, hormonal. But what is actually going on? What what are hormones? And, you know, I think that piece is is a piece that we we don't really understand. It's such an elusive thing. Like it can be such a vague, a vague um, concept. One of the things that I think a lot of women struggle with in is weight loss, which I'm sure that you probably will have, you know, sort of seen people about this, but not for a lack of correct strategy where they don't have a eating plan or some sort of nutritional strategy, or even not for a lack of implementation. You know, people might be doing all these things correctly, but our hormonal health plays such a large factor in our weight and fluctuations and things like that. So what is the piece there in relation to our weight uh, that we really need to understand how our hormones impact our weight and, and the weight fluctuations and things like that? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a fairly – there's so many facets to that, which makes it such an mm. individualised approach. Um, yeah. And also is – Part of the part of the picture is also looking at where you are in your phases in terms mm. of how old you are. So, I'm starting to see a lot of women in their mid to late thirties who are saying, "I've done what I've always done, yet I'm gaining weight, and I can't work out why." And that's the problem. It's that you've done what you've always done, and your body's changed somewhere along yes. the way. And so, you, you know, in our twenties, we definitely could exercise and eat less and we would shift our weight pretty quickly but mm. in our 30s and 40s it doesn't work like that and and that can be a disaster because we can apply those same principles yet continue to gain weight because your body thinks it's in survival mode all of a sudden has to hold on to everything and you know it can really it can really um it can be really tricky to work out so first of all where are you in your phases of life are you in your 20s, are you in your 30s, are you in your 40s, or are you beyond that? And what I find also fascinating is um, less is always more. It's just in the right scenario, right? So, you know, we're saying in our 20s, I'm not saying don't eat, but we definitely got away with less food and more exercise, like I said. As we shift into 30s and 40s, we actually need to eat more fat, more protein, um, exercise smarter, not harder, so more weights, uh, less cardio, and less frequently, which is an absolute... <laughs> That's mind-blowing to hear, right? I think. Right. But it's also it's also scary. It's like me, you know, it's like me 20, 15 or 10 years ago saying, hey, fat doesn't make you fat. And people are like, oh, I'm really scared yeah. to try this on. Because yeah. If I start eating fat, is it going to make me gain weight? Mm. Um, it's the same idea. It's like trying to tell somebody who's always been very active that they need to exercise less it's like, oh my goodness, this is really confronting. Um, 
And so, and that's because of your stress hormones and the way that they interact with your other hormones, your hunger hormones, your satiated hormones. Um, It doesn't just, not one thing works on its own. Often also by the time we're in our mid-30s and beyond, our gut health can be in disarray. And that can be another reason why we're not absorbing, we're getting cravings, we're not nurturing um, our bodies in the right ways still. Um, So there's so many facets. And then you can layer on top of that your sex hormones as well. So, you know, uh, elevated estrogen can lead to um, weight issues or weight um, issues with maintaining a healthy weight, I should say. Um, Elevated testosterone can do the same. So, you, it's it's not a straight answer. It's okay. What are the symptoms? What's being presented? Do you know if you have a known condition like polycystic ovarian syndrome, or do you know that there's a family history of thyroid issues? Let's say because it's another reason why you might be gaining mm. weight. Um, and then we need to piece together the puzzle. There is no one size fits all. But I think if you're sitting here going, "Oh my goodness, that's me," the first thing to do is look at a where I am in my age category. And B, what do I actually, do I know if I have any history or is there a family history of any issues? And then really start to curate your own uh, way of doing that with as much information as you possibly can. I think also at the moment, a lot of people are struggling because lifestyle is just sedentary right now. Yes, and that's a very big different. issue. It's, mm. And it's, we all respond differently to that, knowing that. I think we can be kind to ourselves and just kind of go, this is temporary. You know, this is not a, a forever scenario. Um, and what do I need to do today to feel better? What is it that I can do that my mind feels better so that then I will actually be able to uh, eat better, sleep better, move better? But it all starts with with that intention. So it's not. I haven't really answered your question because it's not really easy to answer. There's so many facets to that. It's a matter of mm. working out where you sit in all of those scenarios. Yeah. I mean, I know it's very complex, but I, I do feel like even just knowing, just understanding or being aware what age group you're in is huge, I feel. Just, just even having that awareness because that's something that we probably don't even think about when it comes to, yes, I think we've heard, okay, your metabolism slows down, but that's different than hormonal health and what's happening to your body as a woman as you go through the different ages and, and life stages. So that's a huge piece, I feel. And then just even talking about what the current climate is right now, we're in this very strange period of time people are experiencing, I would say, collective trauma really because, mm. you know, we're under a very stressful situation. So, again, cortisol levels are higher right. than probably usual. So that's going to factor in. So all things to be wary of, I think just good to be conscious of them, right? Uh, yeah, and I think just being kind to yourself and if you just know this yeah. information, just knowing something is enough to begin with. It's sort of like, okay, I can cut myself some slack because what that does is it removes the the it removes another layer of stress that we're putting mm. on ourselves in the moment. And really what we're trying to do is remove as many layers as we possibly can to get caught to the core. But I think it is important to just say that, you know, sometimes you don't have to do anything. You just have to start with awareness. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's 
I think that even just hearing that, I feel like even for me, it's just something that I've never thought. I've never thought, mm. oh, okay, where am I in my life stages? Where how's right. that? How does that factor in? So I think that's an incredible little piece of, of um, wisdom there. Um, so I was going to say, you know, you you sort of touched on their gut health and. This, this is something that I think that a lot of women experience as well. And I definitely know that I've had a lot of girlfriends who have suffered from various different gut issues. Uh, you know, one sort of had a bacterial thing, which kind of threw everything out. And another had a pretty much a total imbalance of her uh, gut microbiome, basically, after doing, you know, an extreme weight cut, which was for a specific um, sporting, um, you know, thing. But obviously, this is a nutritional aspect of, of gut health. So, I'm interested to know how do our hormones tie into gut health because it's really easy to connect the dots in terms of your nutrition. Obviously, that's that's a really logical connection to make. But in terms of hormonally, how how does that tie in? Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, you're right. We we only, I feel like we only know the tip of the iceberg when it comes to gut and hormones. Um, but what we know is that many hormones are actually made in the gut. And so not necessarily your sex hormones, but, you know, your um, serotonin, dopamine. We once thought that they were made in the brain, but they're predominantly produced in the gut. So even just feeling good and wow. having the motivation to go for a walk or, or to eat better, as I was saying, actually there's a gut connection there for us to do that. Um, so... You know, I mean, just in case this is the first time someone's hearing gut, which I doubt, but um, <laughs> you know, it's still it's still rather a rather new area of health and science. Um, but fundamentally, if your gut is compromised, and that is, we're talking about your gut integrity, so your gut microbiome, the bacteria, the viruses, the everything that lives in you and on you, um, as well as your gut integrity, so the cells of the gut and how those junctions are hopefully nice and strong. And when they're not strong and they're compromised, we can see issues like leaky gut where um, we have the contents of what's supposed to be inside our gut leak into our body, which is not supposed to happen. Your gut is supposed to be a sealed, it's pretty much a tube, really, if you think about it, that starts mm. at the mouth and you know where it ends. Um, and if that isn't, um, if the integrity of that is compromised, we can see all kinds of issues happen, not just digestion or bowel issues. Um, we can see, um, you know, hormonal issues, as we said. We can see fundamentally you're not going to absorb nutrients properly and that becomes a big issue in itself. You can't go on and make hormones if you're not absorbing enough nutrients to make them in the first place. Um, and the other real big issue is that, your sex hormones aren't essential for you to survive. So they are the first to go offline in times of high stress or compromise. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have a period to be able to breathe, to be able to for your heart to pump and, you know, for you to actually think. You don't need that to happen. Uh, so they are in the pecking order. They are really at the bottom. Um, they, they, they're the lowest priority but the, the most important to have balanced for you to feel and, and be able to behave in a way that you feel good. Um, mm. So we know that. I think that's that makes sense. But, I mean, there's so many facets to this. I think to keep it simple, we've done research in strains of bacteria that we know help us to regulate and metabolise estrogen. We haven't done it with other hormones as far as I'm aware and the reason that, that there was a study that was done and there was a, a bacteria strain identified known as estrobilome. And estrobilome was identified in 
women that were uh, estrogen receptive, were experiencing or suffering from estrogen dominant or estrogen related breast cancer, that they seem to lack this strain of bacteria. Now, if you can't metabolize it, regulate it and clear it if there's too much of it or you're not clearing it in a healthy way, then that's going to become problematic, obviously, if you have a history or a predisposed to that type of breast cancer. Mm. Now, you don't just have excess estrogen isn't just a problem for breast cancer, although I can understand why there's research into breast cancer. That makes sense. There's not necessarily research into heavy periods Mm. um, or other estrogen dominant conditions that we all experience every day. My point in this is that if it's true to estrogen, it's probably true to many hormones that we haven't yet researched. And so you can't necessarily just implement one strain and hope for the best because it's you've got more, your farm, you're made up of millions of different bacteria, millions of different viruses. You are more um, of that than you are human. And, and these bacteria influence the way that our genes behave. And so it's just such a matrix of, of you know, we, we've got to connect all of these dots. But fundamentally, I think we need to have good gut health so that we can go on to metabolize hormones, make hormones, regulate mm. hormones, clear hormones. Otherwise, we experience imbalance. The second mm. part to that that I will mention just quickly that a lot of people resonate with, and again, such a, a good tip for people is Obviously, if our gut health's not great, we're not moving our bowels properly. And if we're not moving our bowels properly, we're not eliminating um, excess hormones. That's how we that's how we get rid of excess hormones. So for women that are, in this example, estrogen dominant, um, if they're not regularly eliminating that, it just mm-hmm. gets reabsorbed into the body and we have to do, you know, try and deal with it. And this is one of the most common hormone imbalances I see is estrogen dominance. I would say 90% of women are estrogen dominant based on the lifestyle that we live. And if you're listening going, how would I know? Um, One of the key signs of excess estrogen is uh, ovulation pain, but also more estrogen, more lining, more bleeding. So, you know, estrogen builds your lining. If you've got too much of it, you're going to experience heavy periods. Um, So that's another key sign. Heavy periods um, go hand in hand. Weight gain, I mean, estrogen is a metabolic hormone. Your fat cells make estrogen. Estrogen makes more fat cells. It's a vicious cycle. So it is probably the most common and it's a result of you know, high stress, toxin um, absorption, um, you know, chemicals that we're exposed to, environmental factors and not being able to also regulate and clear it properly. So, mm. you know, that's one of many. <laughs> mm. But, but yeah, hopefully you start to understand that the gut is really important and for so many more reasons than what I've just mentioned, we could just literally talk about that all day and still probably not cover everything. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's so good why we're having this conversation because I think these are the pieces that women especially are missing, I think, in f- perhaps more traditional um you know, messaging around health and women's health specifically. But you touched on their estrogen dominance and and that, as you mentioned, is one of the most common hormone imbalances. So what can we do to rebalance this specifically? I mean, I know there's a lot more, but if we hone in on this one, we can Mm. kind of just use this as an example, I suppose. Absolutely. And remind me to give you a resource at the end that will help you if you're not estrogen dominant, but even if you are... um, So, I mean, we've got to look at three factors when it comes to estrogen. We've got to look at external drivers. So what's existing in my environment that's driving my estrogen? 
internal factors. So what is my body doing to make sure that it's keeping a good balance of estrogen um, and also stress or emotional uh, factors. So, you know, you've got external, internal and emotional. Mm. Um, and I really feel that if we can get that picture somewhat understood, we can really make some big changes when it comes to estrogen. Um, so those external factors, as I kind of mentioned, stress is a really hard one and it's probably the worst and that's probably why so many people are experiencing excess estrogen is because they are stressed more than their body is designed to be stressed. It's not that your body can't do it. It's not that it can't cope, but there's a consequence that comes with high stress. And we've glorified stress. We've adopted the idea that if I'm not stressed, I'm not going to get it done. I'm not going to be successful to be, you know, successful in anything. I have to be overstretched and it couldn't be further from the truth. The people that are actually the most successful in life are the ones that have worked out how to do less to achieve more. So mm. really dialing that in. And it, that just starts with simple awareness I think if you can be aware in any moment how do I feel or am I you know the more you can practice I don't feel right hang on a minute okay yes I am overwhelmed right now um the more you can do something about it but you've got to be aware to begin with and that's not difficult it's just a practice um so that's one of the big ones also exposure to chemicals in our body products our cleaning products our dishwashing liquids um there are many, many chemicals that mimic estrogen that are found in conventional products, makeup, shampoos. Um, so we need to be mindful. And and I don't say that to stress people out because if you were to go and clear out your bathroom cabinet, your, 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 you know, your makeup bag, your, your kitchen sink, your laundry sink, it would be a very expensive exercise. And we don't mm. need any more stress as we've just talked about. So um, I say to patients, just each time a product is ready to be replaced, replace it with a more friendlier product. And there are many, and there's some amazing products that perform equally as well, if not better, than the conventional products that you can find at the supermarket or at Mecca. Or, you know, you don't have to be necessarily scraping the bottom shelf of the health food store to find a product that, that mm. you know, is friendly. Um, so that's a really big one. And again, just to be clear, those products have chemicals that mimic estrogen. It's not true estrogen, but when it enters your bloodstream, your body goes, oh, there's that estrogen again. I'm just going to pop that on the pile. Um, This also extends to plastics, heating in plastic containers, drinking out of plastic water bottles, uh, food out of cans that are lined with plastic. Most of our cans are lined with plastic or BPA now that um, even if it's BPA-free, it's still not ideal. So just Mm. looking at how you can make a switch to a glass jar. Um, and then certain foods, especially soy, alcohol, they also mimic estrogen and can add to the pile. So we can quickly make changes of these external factors. Most of those we can do something about today to uh, at least be aware and start to um, influence how much of an external, how much externally is influencing estrogen. Then we need to look at what we spoke about before, the internal, the gut, the liver and the, the bowels are the main three. Your liver is responsible for detoxifying Um, your estrogen and making sure that it's done in a way that's healthy to keep you safe and healthy. Um, So if that's not happening, then that's a problem with regulating estrogen. We spoke about gut already, certain Mm -hmm. bacteria help us do that and the bowels as well. So that combination, if we can, if you can fundamentally make sure you're moving your bowel every day in a healthy way, you're one step closer to making sure you're regulating your estrogen. Um, For liver detoxification, you can do some really simple things. I mean, there are complex ways to do this, but bitter greens um making sure you're having enough fiber um uh, dandelion tea is another great one there are 
other obviously supplements as well, but but the liver loves bitter, and if you can mm. get uh, you know bit of bit of foods in, it really does help to to regulate the energy of the liver as well. So um, that you can do very easily, and you definitely want to do that. And I've seen people turn their menstrual cycles around just from making sure they're having a daily poop. Um, but fiber really is the key there as well, and that's not difficult either. Yeah. It's just a commitment, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And so if we can get those pieces right and then stress being the other one we can at least start to have more control over our estrogen rather than it controlling us uh yeah. it's just shifting the way that we're approaching uh our, our, our lifestyle uh, and our nutrition and our just daily habits and i don't feel like that's a big stretch those things that i've just mentioned and i'd say to people if you are experiencing the symptoms and you think maybe you are estrogen dominant start with those and then see what you're left with because you're often left with the real core of the issue which becomes much easier to treat when you're not having to worry about all those other things that need to be addressed as well. Yeah I think this is just such a a great way to frame health because I think a lot of the time these things that that you've spoken about here the external internal emotional factors I think as a as a generalization we're aware of these things that we sort of need to do but coming from the perspective of balancing your estrogen I think as women is I think that piece just even again awareness about that is a really um, important factor to really know why we're doing these things like okay why do we need to reduce you know toxins you know what why we do yeah I know that it's healthy to not have chemicals in my products I know that it's healthy but but why why Mm. are we doing it so this kind of provides that deeper reasoning for well we're trying to balance that particular hormone and that of course is is the underlying thing that runs our life Definitely. really run, and I runs think also just to add to that um estrogen drives a lot of hormone issues so for example endometriosis which is something mm. you know 10 to 20 percent of women experience um it doesn't cause endometriosis but it's a contributing factor it's a feeder and so we want to make sure we're regulating our estrogen for people who for example have endometriosis equal migraines is another common um, hand-in-hand. Too much estrogen, you can often experience debilitating migraines that are cyclic, usually around the period time and often at ovulation time. And, you know, especially for these women, they want a solution because they it's contraindicated for you to be on the pill if you experience migraines. So they're the ones that are coming to me going, I actually need to fix this because the pill's not going to work, which is often the solution that we're given. Um, but there's many um, there's many reasons why we want to regulate it for associated conditions that, like I said, doesn't cause it but contributes to it. And yeah. and that's the same with all hormones. Really, we've got to work out. It's really literally you've just got to bring it back to being a healthy balance for you to feel better. Yeah, and I think looking at our health in a holistic perspective like that, knowing that each piece plays a part in the puzzle to your overall health and well-being is is really important. One of the things that you also talk about is being fertile and that notion isn't just about conceiving or making babies, but actually being by being more fertile, we can actually improve our overall health and well-being. Now, this is something that I definitely have not heard before. I've not heard about the idea of fertility and overall health and well-being. We, we normally hear fertility when you're talking about you want to have a baby or you're having trouble having a baby or you're going into IVF and all of those kinds of things. So can you tell me a little bit more about this idea 
and what we can do to be more fertile and why yeah, that's important. I, I love that you've asked this question because I think that this is the missing link for every woman and mm. we've been taught, again, to absolutely fear our fertility, like we're going to fall pregnant in any moment of the any given day and, if you know, you just have to speak to couples that are trying to conceive to work out. Actually, you spend the majority of your life trying to fall pregnant only to find out it's not maybe as easy as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so this idea of fertility is not just about babies. Fertility is about your reproductive system working properly at any phase or any age up until you're not in your reproductive years anymore. And that all comes back to hormone balance. So, you, you know, you can't separate balanced hormones and fertility. They go together. It's, it's, yeah. the, it's the, uh, the positive side effect of hormone balance is improved fertility. And learning to embrace that, I think, and changing the conversation around what that looks like for people is really important so that we don't spend years turning it off. It's not a tap. You don't get to turn it off and then you know, when the time is right, turn it back on again without consequences. And sure, there will be people listening here saying, well, I was on the pill, I came off, I fell pregnant, no problem. Mm. But there's often a downstream effect on that. Or maybe my view is a little bit tainted because I only see the people that that doesn't work for. So, yeah. you know, I don't have the patients coming into the clinic, fist pumping the air saying, I love my life on the pill or I love my life with my marina. I just don't see that. Mm. Um and a lot of women will also say they just never knew what it felt like to be, they'll say, I didn't know what it was like to be me until I stopped taking birth control. Like it was controlling me and I didn't even know it because it's because it flatlines your hormones. It's going to make you feel um, you're going to have less ebbs and flows. And the ebbs and flows, we can, I guess, let them work against us. But if we know how to use them to our advantage, it doesn't have to be that way. So, you know, we don't need to fear our fertility. We need to understand our menstrual cycle. And I think that young women should just be taught this from the very beginning. If you understood where you were hormonally on any given day of your cycle, you wouldn't need to worry. And I look at it the other way. I've been practicing fertility awareness for many, many years. I have two children. They were conceived the month that I tried both of them. I don't say this because I I'm a hero. I say this because, well, A, I would hope that that would be the case if I'm helping women have children and balance their hormones. But B, I knew when I was fertile and I knew when I wasn't fertile. And and I also want to know where I am in my cycle so that I can use wherever I am in my cycle to my advantage and work with it, not against it. So, for example, if I'm about to get my period it's a time to do less. It's, it, you will feel better if you do less. You will achieve more if you do less by the innate nature of what your hormones require at that time of the cycle as opposed to when I'm ovulating and I'm fertile, you actually are on. You are. You mm. will nail that that presentation at that time. You will. It's a time to execute and get things done um, and that's because of what your hormones are doing. You get a surge of testosterone. You're supposed to be glowing. You're supposed to be literally your body in any minute of the day is setting you up to fall pregnant, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Right? But it's knowing <laughs> how to use that. And and it really is. It, it, it's either preparing for conception or preparing to get your body ready for conception again. Uh, and even when it's not working properly, I want people to understand that that's still it working trying to protect you if it's not an, an ideal time for conception it's literally going oh this is not good right now 
let's just take your hormones offline until we sort you out and then you'll be in a better place for conception. So it's still working towards putting you in an optimal state for conception. Um, but we're not taught this. We're just taught that you need to be careful from the minute you start um, getting your period. Girls as young as, as 13 or 14 are being prescribed birth control, which is an absolute disaster. We know also research tells us that the longer we can wait to use birth control, and I'm not saying you shouldn't use it, contraception is one thing, but using it to try and manipulate your hormones is another. Mm. Um, but the longer that, the, the later in life that somebody uses synthetic hormones, the less impact it has on their hormones. And that's because the, the age that you, you start using birth control, so say you're 16 and you start using uh, the pill, at 16 and you decide at 26 to come off, you are as sexually mature as your 16-year-old self. Our hormones aren't fully mature until around 21. So that's why the longer that you can wait or the longer that you do wait, the less problematic it seems to be in terms of the impact of your hormones and your long-term fertility. Um, so, you know, obviously you need to speak to your healthcare provider and work out what's right for you. But I would say that most women don't realise um, a, they can't fall pregnant at any moment, probably because they've been, A, not made aware or B, prescribed birth control and they've never really got to learn and experience the amazing benefits when you understand your cycle and you work with it. Mm, I'm I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and that you brought up to the pill because I think that this is a really – it's a point of contention because obviously there are some people who are for it and some people who aren't. And there's a lot of things going on in the body when we are on the contraceptive pill. And like you said there, I, I mean, I know for me, I was on the pill for about 15 years. And when I came off it, it took a good, I would say year for my body to really normalize and find my natural weight. And I really had to re-educate myself about how my body responded to different things like exercise, like food, because like you said, if you start on the pill young and you're not fully developed in that area in terms of your, your reproductive system, it's like you don't really know what you're supposed to be like. You don't really know what the natural place is. You've never had an opportunity to know. It's not your fault. You just haven't. Yes, exactly. And so it, it becomes a thing of you don't even really know what's going on in your body and you don't know why things are happening in a certain way. So what is your sort of experience with dealing, I guess, with women and their experiences of the pill and what are the biggest things that we need to know about, about the pill? Yeah. It's one thing to use the pill for contraception, but it's another thing to use it as a treatment. And I think that's fundamentally where things go wrong because if you're using it as a treatment, we're never working out why or what the imbalance is in the first place. And you can live years with that with an imbalance only to come off the pill, you know, 15 years later to discover not only is it still there, but it's 10 times worse than what it was because it was never actually addressed. And you've continued to live your life in the same way with potentially factors that are making it worse and not knowing. So, you know, we do need at the very beginning when we're we're concerned about our hormones, we need to definitely look at, okay, well, why am I taking this? Secondly, understanding our fertility and realising that we're not fertile in any, every moment of the day um, is a game changer for a lot of women. But also if you've been on the pill, a lot of women don't even know what ovulation looks or feels like. And so that can be scary as well, reconnecting with your, with your body. Um, the pill definitely, we know, like all medications, it depletes the body of essential vitamins and minerals, which can 
be long-term problematic, only adding to the initial problem in the first place. It upsets the gut. We've spoken about the gut in detail um, and the gut integrity is very much compromised as a result. Um, And women can experience a variety of really horrible symptoms as a result. And you can't know how you'll respond until you actually take it. Um, But if you're also starting to take it at, remember back to when you were 16. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just really, I didn't know, I didn't know what it was like to even feel like me. Like, what does that even mean? I was still learning who I was. So, you know, if I'm then flatlining my hormones, so the pill fundamentally stops you from producing um, sex hormones as a means of preventing you from falling pregnant. So you don't ovulate on the pill um, and therefore you're not producing progesterone or not very much of it anyway, um, which, you know, you need these hormones for more than just a period. Uh, And so that becomes an issue too. But, yeah, look, if I've never had an opportunity to know who I am, um, I don't know. It's just it, it, it sets us up for something that's kind of, less than average and and Mm. and again you're not going to know it because you've been on it for all that time that's why women say I didn't know what it was like to be like me when they finally come off the pill so I think I long for the day where your doctor says to you okay we've decided the pill is the best option for you but I'm going to make sure that you take a quality multivitamin multi-mineral fish oil probiotic just as standard to at least try and minimize the impact mm. that it, it's going to have on you. And that's a starting point. So if you're sitting here and you're on the pill and you're like, oh, gosh, is this for me? Or I love being on the pill, Nat, shut up. I'm like, okay, well, at least please go and do those things so that you yeah. can be supporting your body as much as you can. Um, and then there's the women that want to come off it and they'll say, what do I do to come off it? Well, we kind of start by looking at why are you on it? Are you on it for contraception or are you on it because you've got a hormone imbalance? We need to address the hormone imbalance before you decide to come off and you need to probably speak to your doctor about that in conjunction with other things um, and and look at the best way to transition off that because if you just come off the pill and you've got horrible endometriosis, it's going to be there when you when you stop taking it. So we need to address the reason why the endometriosis is there or the PCOS is there or the estrogen dominance is there or mm-hmm. whatever it is you're experiencing, um, we need to address that uh, so that you can can safely and effectively transition off birth control. And that is very possible. It's a matter of many moving parts because we're all different, Um, but being aware and looking. And and the other thing I really think women don't realise enough is looking down the mother line of the family to see what you may be predisposed to is also something that's really important so that if your mum had a horrible time on the pill, chances are you are too. So is it right for you? Like you've got a lot of you've got a lot to think about. I, I it would I'm not here to say that the pill is I'm not here to say it's wonderful. Um, but I'm also not here to say you shouldn't take it. I think that would be dangerous for a lot of people too. It's it's a personal scenario, but it's this is about us having conversations so that you've got the facts. I wrote yeah. a whole really small book, it's on Amazon called Contraception Deception, and we go into all of the nitty-gritties, and it's written with a gynecologist. We go into all the nitty-gritties of birth control. We talk about protocols to use whilst you're on birth control, what, how to transition off and then beyond. Um, and I think the problem is that the conversations just aren't there at the beginning when we're prescribed medication. Um, 
and that can for a lot of women that can be a disaster. Yeah, you're so right about that. There's just not we are not having the conversations when the decision is made initially to go mm. on the pill. And because usually I think culturally we are tending to go on contraceptive a lot earlier, obviously than probably previous generations, that we definitely were not thinking about what the repercussions are. I mean, I think definitely when I, I started to go on it, you think about, okay, what will it be like in terms of my fertility later on, but not in terms of what's the actual what am I actually going to experience whilst I'm on it? Yes, I'm going to prevent myself from getting pregnant, but what what else what is cost? going on? In- exactly. <laughs> For yeah, some what, women, what- it's horrible. But the mm. other issue here really is that we are not educating young women enough to understand themselves. We're not educating young women to ask questions enough. I don't believe there's a massive pressure. Um, I'll see girls in the clinic that will come in and say, I just want to go on the pill because all of my friends are on the pill. And because I don't want to have a period because it's inconvenient. And that's our fault, and this generation and the generations before, because if we've constantly complained about our period, and yeah, maybe we've got right to complain about it because it's horrible, we need to fix the reason it's horrible so we're no longer complaining about it so that we can have the younger women embrace their cycles rather than not just want to turn it off altogether. So mm. there's a lot of conversation that needs to change. And I, I say to anyone who will help me with this when our when the next generation whether they whether it's your child whether it's your niece your nephew the next door neighbor when they ask the questions about reproductive health where did i come from how did you know how was i made we need to give truthful answers to these kids instead of lying to them we still lie we're like oh the doctor put you there which could be true for someone who had ivf maybe mm. but still explaining what happens you know there's a sperm and an egg and they need to go together and having these evolving truthful conversations means that by the time we're 13 and puberty hits it's not scary it's not horrible it's just part of what happens no different to wiping your bottom when you go to the toilet or blowing your nose that it's just something that happens and if it is problematic well it's a sign that we need to fix it and we can fix it we've got tools to do that um that's a very, very different conversation than, oh, honey, it sucks to be a woman. You're going to have period pain. You're going to be moody and you probably want to lock yourself away for a week. You know what I mean? So we've yeah, got, to, we've got to fix ourselves. We've got to give the right information to allow young girls to actually want to have a cycle, want to have a period, realise mm. how important it is for their health rather than turning it off and then trying to dial it back up when they're 35 and ready to have kids. Yeah, and that definitely, I think, was the na- the narrative that I feel like was ingrained in in me when I was growing up. Is just mm. very much like, yeah, you can go on the pill and then, you know, just kind of figure out that stuff a little bit later. Well, and, I think and- also women, it's it's acceptable for women to have pain, right? It's mm. like it's just part of it. I remember my, remember my mum saying to me, "Ah, oh, I'm so sorry, Nat. It's just part of being a woman." Mm. And whilst that's true. Um, we, pain is a sign that something's not right, that there's inflammation and that you need to do. I, I mean, if um, I say this all the time, but if a guy had a pain in the end of his penis every month, everybody would be worried and do something about it, right? It'd That's be like, so true. <laughs> it'd be like, everybody shut everything down. This guy has penis pain. We need to fix it. But you as a woman have pain every month and it's just part of it because we've mm. been told that, it's just part of being a woman and therefore mm-hmm. our pain is not taken seriously. I even, knowing all of this and very aware, 
it's so ingrained in me. My daughter started menstruating not too long ago and I she was saying, Mum, my tummy hurts. And I'm like, oh, I know, it just sucks to be, it sucks. And then I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm saying what my mother said to me and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be this way and I have tools and I have ways to fix this for you. And I promise you my commitment is that I'll make sure that your periods aren't horrible. Um, and so I think we can't do that unless we're experiencing reasonable cycles ourselves. So mm. it's, it's, it's a, a, you know, there's a, a lot of work to be done in this space yes. still. I'm never going to run out of things to talk about, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, goodness. There is so many things. And two, you know, like just girlfriends I know, um, so many women have PCOS, endometriosis, mm. these kinds of things that then are given the pill to, which essentially, like you said, just masks the issue or at least for the moment alleviates or appears to alleviate the symptoms of pain or whatever they're experiencing at that period of time, but doesn't actually get to the root cause of why they're experiencing these things Look, in the first I place. I am so for using the, if you are in debilitating pain every month, then absolutely that makes sense as a mm. short-term solution. Doesn't yes. fix the long-term solution. And You've got to look at why. So we talked about estrogen dominance being one thing. Now, we also talked about how if you're estrogen dominant, you can have all sorts of symptoms and it can be problematic later on in life. You want to regulate your estrogen no matter what, regardless. So it's just one example when it comes to endometriosis of even if you to use the pill, we've still got to teach your body to regulate your estrogen better. Mm-hmm. And I, I treat women that are on birth control that are you know experiencing migraines or birth uh, breakthrough bleeding or pain even though they're on the pill or whatever it might be I still treat them with great success because there's still this underlying current that needs to be sorted out that doesn't go away just because you're taking the pill yeah yeah all important things that I think we just need to again I think this is why conversations like this are important so that we can bring these kinds of things to the surface so that they are more in our face I think and and part of normal conversation around Mm. women's health. You kind of touched on a little bit there, our cycles and PMS symptoms. And some women experience very severe PMS symptoms, some people don't. And I guess the question after, after hearing what you've just said then is, it's not normal to experience very, you know, severe PMS symptoms. Is sort of just looking at those factors again, external, internal, emotional, are they the things that we can do to, I guess, regulate or reduce those PMS symptoms or is there something else that we can do to kind of make that experience a little bit more pleasurable or less intense for us? Yes. PMS symptoms, there's over 200 of them that can be associated with PMS, by the way. So, you know, whether it's bloating, loose bowels, headaches, moodiness, um, you name it, pretty much if it occurs at that time of the cycle, then we can put it in the PMS category, mm-hmm. um, is proportionate to stress always, always. Wow. So that's why some months can be better than others. Um, but I would definitely say that if you are consistently experiencing PMS, what's actually happening is your elevated stress hormones are impacting your sex hormones and that's a a coping mechanism that's survival um so actually it comes down to being aware of what the stresses are now stress isn't just being busy or having a deadline or um you know being overextended stress can be what how well your gut or your liver is working stress can be your environment you know your bedroom your your sleep hygiene it can be the house that you live in it can be the toxins you're exposed to um 
It can be that there's trauma that hasn't been dealt with. Like there's so many stresses. Mm. And I think what we need to do, as we've spoken about, is A, get aware of stress. B, look at some of the things that we can do immediately to reduce stress, whether it is to do a deep clutter and clean up our, our space. Hey, clean your handbag out. Start with that. It works tremendously. Um, <laughs> whether we start with, with that, but it is definitely proportionate to that. And I think, again, we've just made something that feels so complex, very simple, by being aware of mm. what one thing that we can do to feel better yes. and balance our hormones. It's not that hard. It's looking at where do our symptoms occur in our cycle to work out which hormones are being impacted to then work out what you can do to feel better. Um, you know, so a few other things. Magnesium is very safe for most people to take. They know if they can't take it and if you're not taking it, it should be. Um, we literally cannot get enough magnesium from food any longer. Our soils have been so badly sterilised and damaged that we're just not getting it. And we can, and also you need more under stress. You need much more under stress. So um, start with a, you know, a, a magnesium supplement and I find that they're definitely better than um, even topical. I get asked all the time, is topical enough? Mm. Not for a therapeutic level, um, but for maintenance, yes. But if you're experiencing, we've basically got to break the, the cycles, as many stress cycles as we can, um, I do really think it's important to say we know we need to eat well. We know we need to sleep more. We know we need to move appropriately. We know all of this. The factor that we're not good at is managing and, uh, you know, regulating stress. That is actually where the crux of our hormone imbalances come from. 15 years ago, it was different. We didn't know how to eat for our hormones necessarily. Um, we didn't know... That if we didn't sleep enough, that wasn't that was mean we you know that's going to mess up our circadian rhythms and therefore our hormone balances. I feel like that's not revolutionary anymore, but I really do feel like this stress piece. I I can say it a thousand times, and it's not until the thousand and one time that it actually clicks for people that that is the issue for most women. Um, And and I'll say to women, are you stressed? And the most common answer is. I cope fine with stress. That's not what I'm asking you. Yeah. So we don't even, we're not aware. We're so unaware of it. Um, And it's, so therefore the solution is not as hard as we think. I mean, I think that's so incredible because I think then what you're saying is we are just presuming that stress is just the norm. So it's not even something that we actually need to address. So that in itself is an issue to not be aware that we need to actually do something about it. And secondly, I just, I think linking stress to PMS, I think is huge too, because like we were talking about earlier, I think oftentimes when we associate PMS, we associate that just to, oh, it's my hormones, like you were saying before. Oh, it's just my hormones. Yes, Mm. but why is it your hormones? What is it that's causing your hormones to do these things that it, making you experience PMS symptoms. So I think that's, again, another huge piece. So then does that mean that stress hormones affect, I, I presume so, that they affect then your libido and your, your you know, drive to have sex? Sex is the last thing on your list when you're in overdrive. Mm. Like yeah. truly. And I have, have, will have so many women that will say to me, I've lost my libido. Like, no, you just don't have time for it. Um mm. If sex is not painful, it's not that you've lost it. It's just not a priority. When you're in fight or flight and your cortisol's up there, you know, you just, it's the, 
it's the bottom of the list for most women. Um, And if their partner was to tap them on the shoulder, they would probably very happily have sex. It's just not on your mind because you're prioritising everything else. And it's probably why for the majority of us we go on a holiday and we have a bit of a reset and all of a sudden our libido is back. Oh, I'm on holidays (laughs) and my libido is back. It's not a coincidence. (laughs) So I think, yes, a lot of women experience and and will um, say that their libido is lacking and there can be in other reasons you know thyroid is definitely a reason or hormone other hormone imbalances as to why we might truly have no libido but the majority of women actually have a libido it's just that it's not a priority when you're stressed you you literally in fight or flight and you are prioritizing what matters right now and it's usually not spending time with your, your partner yeah yeah I, th- I think it's just so important to just again really understand that that this plays such a huge part in all these areas of our lives. I think it's it's just so good that we're talking about this. Now, I'm I'm interested to know if there was one piece of advice that you wish you had known when you were younger and you think every woman should know about their health and bodies, what would that be? I think this piece of really dialing in what ovulation is. What does it mean? How does it feel? Why is it good? Um, once you can understand when you're ovulating, you can understand when you're fertile and you don't have to fear your body every day of your cycle. And it's so not hard. In fact, I don't think I finished saying what I was saying before, but I literally look at people who can't figure it out or don't trust themselves. This is the other thing. People say, I don't trust myself. It's like, wow, if you can't trust yourself, who can you trust? Like, really? Mm. Um, But having this awareness from the beginning means that you can work out when you're fertile. You can know when you're fertile and when you're not. You can also use that to advantage when it comes to your day-to-day life. And whilst we're taught what ovulation is, we're not taught what it feels like. And and that's what I think the game changer is. It took me many, many, many years to figure that out and I wish someone had told me in sex ed when I was 15 to connect that, not just you get a period, you ovulate, you release an egg and repeat the process. Um, And you can't get a period unless you've done that. So um, I just wish someone had a really dialed in because ovulation is the hero really at the end of the day. That's the absolute Mm. hero. And if you can, if you can understand that you never have to fear a whoopsie, uh, you know, it, it, but also you get to perform to your best on, on any given day. So I think cycle awareness is the biggest gift that I wish I knew earlier because, wow, my 20s would have been easier had I known that. Yeah. I, I think all of us listening now are thinking, gosh, I wish we were taught this when we were younger. We could just be living our lives in a completely different way and to our advantage as women actually mm-hmm. and not be seeing yeah. it as a, a negative, I guess, having cycles and whatnot. So one of the things that I really love to talk to my guests about is failure and rejection because it's one of those things that we all experience in our lives, um, various different contexts of our lives so I'm curious to know what your biggest failure or rejection has been and what have you learnt from it I've had so many failures it's not funny (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am the queen of experimenting so I fail all the time Um, I think not trusting my intuition Um, Mm -hmm. if I look at all the times where I've known something but tried to talk myself out of knowing it um, it's always, it's never ended well. 
Mm. Um, if I look at people in, that I've allowed either into my life or into my business that I had gut feelings about. Um, so over time, I've really learned to trust that and it's such a radar now. Um, but I think not trusting it has probably been over and over again has caused a lot of failures. Um, it's never been wrong. <laughs> yeah. So that's the other thing, being able to have that hindsight and going, A, I've got a feeling, B, I need to follow it rather than A, I've got a feeling, oh, who are you to think that? That's what I would have ordinarily done. How do you know that it's in- an intuitive feeling? Because that, that's one of the things that I think people get a bit stuck on is how do I know what is my... Really good question. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked it. Also, because it's really relevant to when you are on birth control, it's, it's kind of not there. It's kind of dialed oh. off, dialed down um, just by the nature of, you know, integrating all those things that we've spoken about. They're all yeah. flatlined. Um, yeah. So intuition for people that are on the pill, I often find they're like, I just don't know. I really don't know. I don't know what to do. don't know how to do it. There's no trust. There's no gut feelings um, because of the way that it impacts the, the, the gut and your hormones and your feelings. Um, your gut is also your emotion center. So really making sure that that is... Um, nurtured and cared for uh i i love fasting um for the reason of it really gives me clarity to dial in and be able to tune into what is it's fasting for me isn't about food um fasting for me is allowing my digestive system my gut to do everything it's supposed to do outside of digestion making hormones um repairing my body boosting my immune system um so I think that's probably one of the things that's really important for me is to make sure my gut health is really in check so that I can then dial in. It's not called a gut feeling for nothing, right? Mm, yep. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I have really, and again, I, I mean, you have to have the, the the failures in not trusting intuition to be able to look back and recognize, hey, I have that feeling again. And B, last time I didn't trust myself. Um, even down to, I was talking to someone yesterday and they were, you know, having a conversation about somebody that they're in business with. And the minute that I met this person, I was like, ah, I've got a feeling and it's not good. And I don't mm. like that. I don't want to be like, oh, that person I'm not sure about. Mm. Um, just as yesterday, the, the business partner reached out and said, it's all gone pear-shaped. And I'm like, oh, I knew that was going to happen, you know. So yeah. it's it's about not it's about knowing that I've been there enough times now to actually say hey or at least protect myself. Um, I mean, I've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars from not trusting my intuition. I've invited the wrong people into my business to manage my business and lost money. I've um, formed partnerships that weren't um, necessarily viable because I didn't um, trust or allow the trust to be the lead. Um, the leading reason that I'm doing something. So I will never put myself in those positions again based on the experience I've had, but you have to have the experience to know. Yeah, um, and that's, that's the hard part too. But I think just never second-guessing a feeling, um, it's it's just never been wrong. In hindsight, it's never been wrong. So that's comforting that I can actually utilise that to my advantage. I can dial that in to ask my body uh, how to make decisions. You know, how nice. I actually have an inbuilt system if I trust it and if I listen to it. But if I'm clouded by stress, overconsumption, poor nutrition, you know, if I'm clouded by even overeating, 
then I can't necessarily dial in and make those decisions. So, yeah, it is. It's 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 a um, it's a process. It's a, it's you, you have to live to experience. And this is the other thing I'll say to people. You know, it's like how do you know how to treat this, or how do you know? I'm like, I've done it so many times that I can just tell you what you need to do, and. The beautiful part of that is that comes with experience. But the crappy part of that is you can't buy experience. You have to live it. You have mm. to have thousands of patient encounters to be able to say, this is what we're going to do. And when someone says why, you can say, because this is the reasons and I've seen it enough times to know that. So it is, it's, it's about allowing the evolution in your life to continue and showing up every day and, you know, being, um, being available in your line of work to to do the best you can and, and learn learn from that every single day and experience in hindsight it's it's nice to be at a point where I've got so much more to learn as we all do. Don't get me wrong. I am so not enlightened that I do not know all the things, but I definitely have had enough to look back now and go, huh, I know stuff because mm. I know stuff because I learned it. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that. I mean, I've, I've always felt the same about my intuition where it's never wrong and you definitely know when you are overriding it only in hindsight, can you look back and go, yeah, I kind of knew and I should have listened to my, my intuition. So it's, but that piece to just even being grateful probably for the, for the times when you didn't listen to it. So you know what it feels like when you don't listen to it. So I think that's, that's a really great point to bring up. And my final question for you is, if you had an overarching statement to which you try to live your life by, what would that be? Oh, it's so cliche. <laughs> <laughs> I really <laughs> love that Gandhi quote, which is be the change that you wish to see in the world. Oh. I think so often we um, we bitch and moan about what we're not happy with, yet we don't do anything to change it. We just keep living every day hoping that tomorrow will be better. Hmm. Um, and I think we really do, as women, we have an obligation to be an example to our loved ones. Um Nobody wants to be preached to. Nobody wants you to go up and say, hey, stop eating that. That's not okay. Or don't do that. No one wants that. But what they will never, ever um, gravitate to is your presence and ha- the example that you set. Hmm. You know, I, I people say all the time, my friend won't listen to me or my daughter won't do what I'm telling her to do. Don't worry, just be what you want them to be, you know. So we've got to show up and we've got to be these examples and it's a privilege to do that. It's such a privilege to influence or lead or just show up for other people, whether you're impacting one person or ten. It it is a privilege and I think if we can see it that way, everything changes. It's not about you. It's It's about being in it together. And so... Yeah, I really think being able to be, you know, I, I feel like it's such a privilege to be of influence to help women understand their body better. I don't take that for granted at all. I And once upon a time I would have. If you had have asked me back when, even when health talks was all happening and things mm. were all, I know my ego w- got out of control. I know it did. I didn't have enough life experience. I didn't have the backbone to support myself through those processes. I It was wild. Um but 10 years on, I can at least now say that was actually, this is actually a privilege. It's not a right. It's a privilege. And so I think just that put, putting more love into the world is one sure way of making it better, but it's, it, it, that comes back to you as well. So we've just got to show up for one another every day. 
Mm, I love that. Be the change that you want to see. I think it's such a great philosophy to live by. And I think you are a living example of that. You're such a great role model, I think, for women. Um, And it's so obvious, I think, too, that you're really passionate about what you're doing. So I'm really grateful for you taking the time to chat to me today. It's been such a pleasure. And I think I've learned so much. And I'm sure that people who are listening have gotten a lot out of this episode. So thank you so much for joining me today, Nat. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. If there are people listening and they're like, is it my hormones or is it something else? Um, I will make sure that you get a link in the, and you'll put them in the show notes. Put in the no show doubt. notes, yes. Um, just yep. to my hormone worksheet, which helps you work out which your horm- which hormones are imbalanced. And it's really valuable. Look, it's not going to give you the um, definite rundown because obviously we've learned how individual people are, but what it's designed to do is A, point you in the right direction and B, allow you to be more curious around your symptoms and what they're telling you your body's always speaking to you. It's just a matter of whether we've got the tools to listen to that or not. And so um, I I totally invite anyone to go and um, just utilize that worksheet as a means of which hormones are, which hormones is it? And what do I do next? Um, And it's not about doing everything. It's just about doing something. Yes, taking the first step, baby steps. Mm. That's going to be amazing. So I'm going to pop that in the show notes for you guys. Where else can people find you, Nat, to get into your work and your books and all of the oh, things, yeah. amazing things that you've been doing? Um, I'm Nat Kringudis everywhere and whether it's Instagram or my my um, website, if you've got a hormone question, go there, like either to Instagram and ask or head over to my website, use the search function, type it in, There's years of information on there that's archived to the point where I don't even really put much on there anymore because it's there. And if it's not there, tell me and I'll write it for you. (laughs) Um, But but definitely there's heaps of information just to give you explanations as to why things are happening and obviously tools as to what you can do to start to improve your health so that your hormones benefit and you can feel better sooner. Yeah, amazing. So make sure you check out Nat, guys. Thank you again so much for joining me, Nat. And thank you guys for listening. Make sure you screenshot this episode and share it to your IG stories. You can tag Nat and also at Rach Active. And we'll catch you next time on the Rach Active podcast. 